stories here to tell. Feed the fire, merry meat, dare to more than dabble. All are welcome at our hearth for a little bonfire babble. Bonfire babble. Welcome to the bonfire. Exploring magic with two modern witches. I'm Corey. And I'm Detta. And we are here today with a very exciting guest. I'm going to let Detta tell you all about her. I am going to say that we have been trying to do this, I think, for two years. Is that right, Marion? I think so. Since we only do periodic interviews, it was like, oh, we have to get her on the show. She is, this is Marion McCarthy, everyone. And she is the author of the Psychic Last Responder Mystery Series. And she's the novelist with a great respect for those who care about the dead and grieving. And you will hear that and see that in her writing. Before writing mystery novels, Marion had a long career as a freelance journalist, corporate communications consultant, I need you, technical copywriter, columnist, a ghostwriter, which I think just sounds so fascinating. She's also an editor and a writing teacher. She is the author of Beneath the Wild Blue, a historical novel about a military family navigating the upheaval of the 1960s. She joins us from her home in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to discuss the upcoming release of the third book in her mystery series, Murder and the Bookseller. And welcome, Marion. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) I got to tell everybody, you can't see this, but Marion is like a parade of beautiful joy and colors and just like a joy to have in the space. And so I'm very glad to be speaking with you today, Marion. Thank you. I'm thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) So you're a very prolific author. You've been writing, it seems, for quite some time. What made you decide to choose writing as like the path for you? I grew up. In an Air Force family, my dad was a career Air Force pilot, and that meant we moved around a lot. And from an early age, I cultivated the art of observation to determine where I fit in and where I didn't, you know, wherever we lived. And so I think that was great training to be a writer because you observe characters, you come up with ideas. I was a journalism major in college. I worked for many years doing boring things like public relations and technical writing corporate communications and all that kind of thing. After I had children, it was a great opportunity to read to them and to rediscover fiction. And I decided I would be a fiction writer so I wouldn't have to document all my sources and cite them on your APA documentation. (laughs) Because that's hard. (laughs) That is so hard. That's so funny. I respect the crafting of like your niche you know so that you don't have to do like (laughs) bibliographies I love that for you so you're a very prolific writer do you you write about I think fairly magical things do you consider yourself and feel free to you know not answer if you don't want to but do you consider yourself a witch and if you do does your magical practice have any influence on your writing that is a great question What I consider myself is someone who has been spiritually awakened by the research that I have done, by listening to you all and people like you to understand the magical 
in this world that is present. And I wanted to portray a character who is psychic, who hears things, sees things, and understands things that are not of this world. And so in order to do that, I had to really delve into all kinds of literature and stories and pantheons. And it has informed my fiction, which I think you could say is magic. I don't practice. I have a candle burning right now. <laughs> I don't have a practice like a green witch or a this or that. But I think my practice might be my writing, might be creating fiction that people can just read to escape or people can read to enjoy. I love that. We talk about how storytelling is magic all the time. And Dada, I think I speak for you when I say that storytelling is like hugely vitally important in both of our lives. Yes, you speak for me. <laughs> yeah, I I only do because I know it's true. Uh, <laughs> storytelling, you have flattered us by saying that you listen. You know, we talk about storytelling a lot. And you're actors, both of you, right? Yes. Yeah. It's all by acting. You bring so much like richness to the world that you create. Can you tell folks who maybe don't know your writing a little bit about your mis- your mystery stories? Because I've never heard until very recently the term cozy mystery. And <laughs> so I would love to hear in your words, like what, what that is and like what other types of mysteries that you write. Yeah, Dada, what's and up? And I just want to say real quickly that now there is such a thing because I've read cozy mysteries for like for freaking ever, but there's such a thing as a witch cozy mystery, which oh, I love and it. a kitchen witch cozy mystery. Those are now genres, y'all. I'm so excited. Okay. We're in the future. <laughs> a cozy mystery by definition is one that doesn't have graphic violence. It's not a police procedural. It's along the lines of Agatha Christie and Miss Marple and those small town little places that have all these murders. If you think murder she wrote, that is a cozy mystery. And readers read them because they're more, they're like puzzles. They are things, well, you overhear something. They typically have an amateur sleuth like Miss Marple or someone like that who sees things that the police don't. And so they are members of the community that really solve the mysteries, which is, I think is a fun way to do it. Absolutely. Uh, I love the idea of like mysteries as a puzzle because I feel like so much procedural stuff on television now has that shock and graphic mm-hmm. element. And it's like, I just want to solve the mystery. <laughs> yeah, the really the motivation and the characters are really behind the puzzle instead of the DNA and the yeah. they got them on the blah blah blah. Anyway, yeah, that's the fun of a cozy mystery. And I write in the paranormal cozy genre, which includes the witch cozies and all those things. And it's kind it's it's a cozy mystery that has some paranormal elements. And my element is a mortician in a small town who gets psychic messages from the dead when she's working with certain people with the bodies. 
So in that town, I populated it with other people who are doing magic. One is her aunt, who is a green witch, and she's a farmer. And one is her aunt's wife, who's a pagan priestess. They are also property developers. So they, these two women have attracted all kinds of magic practitioners to this small town and made a whole economy out of magic shops and crystal shops and all of that. People come there like Salem, only it's in Oklahoma. <laughs> and it's fictional, of course. Sure, sure. Speaking of the fictional town that you've created you create these unique and like rich worlds full of people that you might see you know in any sort of town or township in the country or the world even but they're fantastical obviously paranormal element but if you could choose to inhabit any of the like magical places you've created which one would you want to even just to visit which one would you want to go to? I would go to my town that I created. It's called Bardo, Oklahoma, B-A-R-D-O, and it's named for the Roman wagon. It's painted with a large tent-like thing over the top. The Romani people lived in those wagons, and they were travelers. And they went from place to place, nomads like many of the tribes in the United States. I like to imagine this place in eastern Oklahoma, and it is a place that was opened during the land run of 1899, also called the land grab, when all the white settlers were able to come and stake claims on the Indian land. And I like to think that some of those settlers were Romani people or gypsies, and they came across the prairie in these large wagons, these gypsy wagons, and they staked their claim in this place where they felt good vibrations. And they lived alongside the tribe that occupied that land. And that tribe is a mythical one. It's called the Yehopa people. And so the Romani people and the Yehopa people set up a coexisting government in this little town, Bardo. And they have, they celebrate along the same kind of wheel of the year in their different cultures. They support education. They support all kinds of people. And it's a kind place. It's a magical place. And it's a place where people are willing to share their magic. So that's the kind of town I'd like to live in. <laughs> and it last night, I'm going to say I, I was in a, at a fundraiser for Tulsa Cares, which is an organization that raises money for people with HIV. And I saw a great community of all different kinds of people, drag queens and everybody out with their freak on and old white people like me just walking around and we raised more than a million dollars to support our citizens and our people here who are suffering from HIV and AIDS and that's something you don't think of when you think of this the state of Oklahoma and I want to say that's here it is magic it, we have lots of stuff going on here that's very different from the stereotype I think that is created about the state. I love that you bring that up. Just a small offshoot of that. I've been having a lot of discussions recently with people far smarter than I about <laughs> the way that portrayals of certain places, whether that be regions of the United States or other places in the world, become 
monolithic and very othered and people forget that there are real life kind citizens and humans that live in those places who are just as caring and concerned and wanting for the good of all kinds of people that you don't hear about because they're just not as loud and they don't have as much they don't cause as much sensation so they don't get covered it's to see your community caring for each other there was a study done i think after or right before the 2020 election that showed that most places are purple and that a lot of people support some of the stuff that you're talking about but like Corey, you were saying the loud ones and the people in government really it's the people that end up in government that shape the perception of the state i think exactly yeah so it's yeah so it's nice to get a different view (laughs) Yeah, totally, definitely. Because like Washington, people think is a very blue state. And if you go an hour outside of the city, it is not. And I know for like parts of Eastern Washington are like, we want to join Idaho or Eastern Oregon are like, we want to join Idaho. And I'm like, okay, all right, okay, all right. Let's everybody just, let's everybody just question and be critical about the way things are are portrayed because it's always a lot more complicated than it it seems and people are complicated so complicated speaking of complicated people what made you decide to write about a mortician the last responder i love that phrase by the way i think i stole that phrase from monica torres who's a she's a restorative mortician who works with bodies that are so far decomposed that family once it restored for their ceremony, whatever. And she's, I think she's the one who came up with that. During, I'll tell you, I, during the pandemic, I wrote these books and I kept seeing stories about healthcare providers being celebrated for their heroism. You know, they get jet flyovers, people bring them all kinds of food and flowers and rightfully, I mean, they worked horrible, just horrible hours under horrible conditions, but I also connected with Mortellis, who I think you've had her on your show, who is mm-hmm. a real-life psychic mortician. Mm-hmm. And she said, to be honest, death care workers labored during the pandemic exhaustively mm-hmm. without recognition, caring for COVID-ridden corpses, storing bodies in refrigerated tents and trucks, and dealing with grieving family members who couldn't even hold a memorial service or a funeral. And so I thought of them when I created my character, Perry Spock, the psychic mortician. And I wanted to portray her as someone who cared for both the living and the dead, because where would we be without death care workers? I mean, we all have to go sometime. (laughs) Absolutely. It is the ultimate eventuality. Yeah, we had Martellus on. Uh, It was pretty... I think it was pretty early in the podcast and it was also pretty early in the Pando Mm -hmm. and they were telling us all about just how unseen that work is because everybody is rightfully like celebrating the people who are keeping people alive, keeping people healthy, keep people safe. Mm -hmm. But there is a huge element of that is people who didn't stay 
healthy and didn't stay safe and need someone to ferry them through that process. And I think it's great that you're writing about a character who is like fantastical and it's, you know, paranormal and wonderful, but also is like a very real life. It's very real life issues portrayed in this sort of mystical way. And um, I think that probably death care providers were they to read this would be like, ah, finally, I feel seen. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I'm certainly not trying to portray something that I don't know firsthand knowledge about. I am not a worker, but I did like to give my character, Perry Spock. She was a very dutiful young person and she joined the military and she became, because of her upbringing, a mortician at Dover Air Force Base where they receive all the remains of people Mm -hmm. killed on foreign soil and service members. And so she's worked very hard in a very serious environment for a long time. And then suddenly she takes over the family funeral home and she becomes psychic. So (laughs) she has to switch sides of her brain and go, I didn't ask for this. I'm doing my job. And all of a sudden I'm hearing voices. And so that's when she has to call upon the other people in the town, like her aunt who understands psychic vision and understands all this stuff to coach her along and, and tell her, you've got a gift that's going to solve these issues. You've got to start working with the sheriff. You've got to say what you saw because these things will find their way into a courtroom someday and find the person who did this terrible crime. There we have it. <laughs> there we have it. I have a quick question for you that is absolutely not on the list, but I am curious. We hear a lot about people who are like, I didn't think there were any magic practicers in my family. And then I realized upon getting older and digging a little that people didn't call it that necessarily, but that there were like my grandmother, for instance, on my mom's side, she was a green witch to the max. And she, I think was also a little psychic and she could also, she had the magical energy to like diffuse tension in a room. She could like make everybody comfortable. And I think she was absolutely a magic practicer without even really realizing she was doing it. Did you have you in reflecting or doing research for your writing come across any of that in your own family? I think so. My mother used to say she was a witch and she did it jokingly. She was a fifties housewife, an air force wife who had to be dutiful because they had to move around all the time. And everything. But she would say she had a feeling about things. She would pretty much honor you if you had a bad dream and you need to talk about it. She took a different view of the world, I think, from a lot of people and believed in magic. And my husband's mother could do an evil eye. And (laughs) my husband's grandmother read tarot. She was French Canadian and she read the tarot and she predicted that he was going to marry someone with the initials initials back when he was a little boy and I'm with Mary and Milner. So it was, it's very interesting. A lot of women along the way have, I think we're more intuitive. Maybe we're more in touch or they're when you're more in touch, you're more intuitive and you're not just 
marching along all the time, you notice things. And that in itself opens doors to magic, right? Is that how you see it? <laughs> yeah, I absolutely do think that. I think, yeah, the like real kernel of stuff that like I resonate with that is like, if you just look around, mm-hmm. like if you just don't just look down and forward, if you look around you, you can see them the like magical you can just see it because you're looking for it and if you're not looking for it you're not going to see it uh Mm -hmm. as much and i think that's lovely i love that sorry for the impromptu no that's all right we magic is everywhere we just it's not just disney magic either (laughs) (laughs) which you know fun for a weekend but yeah (laughs) all good all good but oh my gosh speaking of like magical places you've made up this town called vardo mm-hmm. is there anything you want to give our listeners a little tease about what they could expect coming into this, this fictional town in a real place what can you tell us about the like unique setting of vardo for <laughs> folks who might read it it's set in eastern Oklahoma in what we call green country because we have a lot of forest, old growth forest here. And we have a lot of water, which is not typical of some of, we have five ecosystems in Oklahoma, we're green. Probably a lot like, yeah, we may be more like, we didn't have pine the way you do, but more like the Pacific Northwest. Wow, you have five ecosystems? Yes. So if you drive in just a teeny bit east of, Seattle up through Canada that way you can drive through five five or six different ecosystems and get all these different wines almost all of them have vineyards (laughs) Tammy and I did this road trip and we were like oh so did aliens do an experiment here in this little section (laughs) I had no idea that Oklahoma had all that they do if you drive west from where I live across 412 route 66 all that you'll go through the Black Mesa which is a, a mesa that has black sand. You'll go through some wetlands. You'll go through, you know, whatever the five ecosystems are. We've got some small mountains. We don't have big ones. But it is quite amazing. We've got some real healing red rocks down in southwestern Oklahoma that where my parents had a lake cabin. It's a very interesting state. It hasn't developed its tourism to the extent that lots of other states have, but we do have a lot of it here. And that's, I think for that reason, it might be a microcosm of the country. <laughs> Lots of crossroads here to go back to that first thing that you were talking about. But yeah, there's magic here. and There's magic in Varda that caused the settlers to go there because the tribe had already sensed the magic, the vibrations from the place. And the Romani people also did, and they needed to settle somewhere that had that high vibration to attract other people who have it. And that's why it's such a, a brigadoon of a town <laughs> because it, you know, attracts people who are looking for that. The word that comes to mind when you describe that is oasis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like it's an oasis for people who feel out of place elsewhere. Yeah. And people are drawn to that. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love that too. So yes, go to Vardo for your next vacation. <laughs> you can visit Marianne, who also wants to visit. Oh, yes, you. 
<laughs> I'll open my wagon up and everybody can come and have a cocktail and uh, we'll order in food from someone. <laughs> <laughs> I also am like still reeling about the idea of there being five different distinct ecosystems in Oklahoma. <laughs> because like all you ever hear to again the point of all you ever see all you ever think of is like the plains and like mm -hmm. the wheat and the yeah. big farm mm -hmm. and everything Oklahoma word of them. I guess. <laughs> I heard my two guys from New York you know <laughs> yeah exactly oh my uh, gosh when Hi. you're oh, yeah. magical and it's that. good <laughs> that it has a relationship that I cannot boast with trees, oh. <laughs> like trees and plants. And I feel like if you could visit there, you'd probably be like really stoked to just like hug all the trees and like lay down on the forest floor and just yes, vibe. I want you to come, Dada Tavardo, and especially this book that's coming up, it's going to be released on, it's going to be up for pre order on May 1st on Amazon, but it's called Murder in the Bookseller. And mm -hmm. it's about spring and everything's coming to life and a new bookstore is opening town in town <clears throat> called Gideon's Grimoire and so it's some magic stuff going on but also there are evidences that the fae the little people the good people are rearing their heads and showing up in Bardo so there's something else magical going on Perry's gonna have to figure out if, if that cost someone to fall in a pond and die or <laughs> what exactly is going on or do we have humans at work here so Ooh. anyway yeah I know that you're kind of afraid of the face so I thought you might like that <laughs> I am I am yeah you know that you know this <laughs> I'm trying to like open up to not being so afraid of the face well, according to my Irish husband yeah you should be <laughs> Or at least respectful of them. They're the land spirits. They're yeah. taking over the land. And that's what the Yohopa tribe believes. That the land spirit is protecting this land. And they don't want certain people foraging there. They don't want people taking their roots and their shoots and their mandrake out of there. So yeah. things are happening. Amazing. Oh, I love that. I love also the way that sort of looking at the titles of your books I just I love the way it feels like they're they are you are building worlds within the books and then the books <laughs> are building out the world like you just said there's a new bookseller in town like that expands the world and the cast of characters and I just think that's so clever <laughs> I think that's very clever the first one is murder and the mortician and it's about it's Perry's story to you know, how she gets her player senses going. Mm -hmm. And the next one, these books are, is about the Halloween festival, a murder and the ghost hunter, and this mythical owl, it's part owl, part woman, is swooping through town, and people see her, and a ghost hunting show comes to film, and it causes all kinds of chaos during Halloween or sewing. How do you say that's? Sawin? Uh, I say Sawin. Sawin. Thank you. You'll say Sawin. I live in Oklahoma, says so Sawin. I don't know. <laughs> Sawin. Thank you. <laughs> it's one of those words that you have to hear out loud because I thought it was Samhain for a real long time and it is not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little bit out of time. 
I'm getting there. Yeah. So you're a prolific writer. Would you call yourself a prolific reader as well? Oh, yes. I read everything. <laughs> I love that. And I listen to audiobooks and podcasts and everything. I've always been a prolific reader. And I think that's, you know, when you consume so many books, it makes you want to be a writer. I've got to tell you, I read a lot of fiction in my genre, and I've read all kinds of fiction all my life. I wanted to shout out some of the nonfiction that I've read that really has inspired me and grounded me in some of the magic that I try to include in the stories. Absolutely. Um, one of them was Margot Adler and Drawing Down the Moon. And I know that's an older book, but I used to listen to her on NPR. I look, Margot Adler, a reporter, and then here she is, a Wiccan priestess. I'm not sure, but she wrote this encyclopedia of all the magic practitioners throughout time. It's an amazing book. So I read that. And then I really like Pam Grossman, who has a book called Waking the Witch. And her podcast is really good, The Witch Wave. And then Matt Alron for his Psychic Witch. It gives you exercises to hone your senses and do that kind of thing. And then again, Mortellus, I thought, had some beautiful ceremonies about pagan rites for the dead in a book she wrote called Do I Have to Wear Black? So those have been guideposts to guiding me in, you know, trying to create some of these things going on in a fictional world. Waking the Witch was a very interesting read. I remember I left that book thinking, I have so many other things now I would like to know about. It it was a really good, just like you said, inspiring. It was inspiring mm -hmm. to want to go learn more and dig deeper. And it's one of the first actually like full books I ever read about yes. magic. And it was a really interesting counterpoint to the first one I read, which was What's that guy? What's that guy author, Detta? He wrote, he writes pagan books, and I can't remember his name now. Scott Cunningham. Scott Cunningham. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. I haven't read his, but it's on my list. I He's no longer with us in this world. I enjoyed the book I read, and, uh -huh. and it was informative. And, you know, I took what worked for me, and I left what did not. And then I read Pam Grossman's Waking the Witch, and I was like, whoa, the world is large. It's large. <laughs> The world is large and full of varied people, and I love it. Um, what is something that you've read recently that you are really excited that you've read? Oh, my gosh. I read, and everybody's reading it. It's one of those books, book club books, but it's called Lessons in Chemistry. I don't know if y'all have read it, but it's about a woman who's which actually she is a chemist in the 1950s and she can't find work in a research lab anymore and she has to support a child so she develops a cooking show for women on tv and they try to dress her up like a housewife and all she goes no i'm wearing a lab coat i'm having a bunsen burn cooking is chemistry <laughs> and it's a funny book but it's also a kind of a really surprising book and it's a first-time writer this book has been a bestseller for several weeks but the author I think is 65 and it's her first book 
I just thought it was interesting. It also has a dog as a narrative character, which I thought she did very well. You know, dogs are everything. And cats, too, in your world. Yeah, I Dogs like and cats are the best. Mm-hmm. Oh, very Rita Mae Brown. I love that. I yes. love her cozy yeah. mystery series yeah. so much. <laughs> They're funny. I love the idea of a chemist teaching cooking because yes. food is science for hungry people. Exactly. My husband has a degree in chemistry and his the thing he does to relax is to cook. He loves it. He goes, I set up my bench. I get, I prep everything. I get it all ready. And it's great because, you know, it's good food. <laughs> yeah. You get to do something fun but and at the end chemistry. you get to eat it. And I think witchcraft is chemistry. What is it you're doing with witchcraft? You are crafting ways to draw in the elements, to draw in the environment, draw in the power that's all around us and do something with it. And the thing I, you know, people say, are you a witch? Or you know, I hate that stereotype of a witch, you know, because witches are magical people and they're people that we've always been. You all wax very eloquently about this in the podcast, but what you're doing is taking what is already there and just releasing the power. <laughs> and I don't know. I just find that phenomenal. It's like, that's what awakening is. I think when you begin to learn that it's all here. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I might've said this before, but I might not have, I think science is magic. Oh, I do too. I think science is magic for sure. And I think something that does bum me out on the regular is people who think they have to be separate things. Uh, like if something is scientific, it can't be magical. And if something is magical, it can't be scientifically proved. And I think that's such a bummer. It is a bummer. And I don't know why those two worlds got separated. My husband, a chemist, also believes in alchemy. And <laughs> there you, you go. Know, magic is in the chemistry. That's what it is. It is actual magic. And so I don't know why. Mm-hmm. You can like Star Wars and Star Trek. You can like the Stones and the Beatles. You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) You can like peanut butter and chocolate because when they're together, they're better. You know? Yes. And you can like Samantha and Sabrina. So whatever. (laughs) Right? Different kinds of witches. But I really like Endora. When I was growing up, I used to think she was the coolest. That green eyeshadow and those big capes. Yeah. I love a cape. I love a cape and I love a woman bold enough to wear a cape. Oh yeah. With the red hair. Oh, like, like Dada. She could <laughs> make a good Endora one of these days. So yeah. All good. Amazing. She um, was misunderstood. Yeah. Oh, I think she was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you have a book that is going to be available for pre-order on the 1st of May. Yes. And that is The Murder in the Bookseller. The yes, book it you, is. Thank you so much for describing for us so we can all get hyped about it. That's going to be released in the fall, you said? Yeah, the book will be up for pre-order May 1st. And it's, the actual book will be available if you pre-order it at a certain price. Then you will actually get the book delivered to your home or your Kindle. Or in September, I had some production issues because of family issues here, and (laughs) 
But the book is set because it's set in Beltane or May 1st during a festival that takes place in Bardo. I wanted to have the pre-order date be May 1st because it's seasonal. And so May Day or Beltane is approaching and the veil between the land spirits, the fae, the little people, the good people and the people of Bardo is growing thin. And they're beginning to see after a tornado, some signs, mushroom circles, you know, fairy circles, a hawthorn tree blows down on Perry's property and these mystical lights come from it at night. She's not really sure what to think of that. And then a forager who's looking for May apples outside of this kind of spooky cottage called Mandrake Cottage. She falls down and drowns in a pond. So nobody's really sure what happened to her, but the medical examiner said she could have died of fright because it, she shows signs of stress from a heart attack that could have just caused her to fall. Perry begins to pick up psychic stuff about this and she has to work with law enforcement again. Then on May Day itself, Gideon's Grimoire, the new bookstore in town square is going to open. And the world famous fantasy author named Dahlia Clarendon comes to town. And she's releasing her new book called Queen of Wands. And she gets fans from all over the world that come dressed as tarot characters, dressed as different characters in her book. And they converge upon Bardo for a festival. They celebrate on May Eve and they have all this stuff going on. And Perry and the local sheriff, who was her nemesis in high school, get some sparks flying on May Eve and they got a little romance going, maybe. Read the book. <laughs> but the next day, the bookseller goes to open the store and there's a dead tourist dressed as Bacchus with a machete in his back behind the book counter. So everything goes into crime-solving mode. And Perry is caring for all these bodies. So she begins to receive different kinds of messages. A lot of people are saying, oh, the Fae did it, the land spirits did it, but some human probably did it. And you just have to read it to find out. But that's the setting. She, Perry has to ally with her Aunt Azalea and Reg Woolarock, the deputy, to, and law enforcement to find out who killed everybody on the Beltane Festival. Wow. <laughs> I love your description of that because I can't tell how many red herrings are in there. Oh. Like, I don't know where the twists are. I don't know. I don't know if it is the Faye. I don't know if it is people. I don't know what's going on. And I love that because now I have to read it and solve a mystery. Well, good. And I hope you enjoy it when you do read it. Absolutely. absolutely. And write a review. <laughs> <laughs> Just like I did for you on your podcast. <laughs> Tell you what, trade you a review for sure. Okay, for sure. I'm so excited to become a cozy mystery person because I don't think I was I like historical fiction a lot I like fantasy I like stuff like that and I think that it's about time my brain could use the like the metaphorical like 
cozy armchair that is cozy mysteries like just to settle and have a good time so yeah, much reading cozy mysteries and particularly paranormal cozy mysteries became very popular during the pandemic people read for escape mm-hmm. you know you don't want to read more about the microbes that are destroying the world or yeah you don't want that you want something light you want something maybe you can solve along with yeah. the amateur sleuths you want something that's got some hints of paranormal to just stir your imagination yeah. you know, keep you up at night without being too scary yeah <laughs> I love that too because it, it does it sort of smacks of balance because mm-hmm. like you mentioned it was a really hard time so mm-hmm. here is a soft thing and I think that as we continue to grow and we all continue to do our work to try to right the ship and fix the world and make it a kinder place like that work is hard it is. so enjoy something soft also exactly. so for all of you out there who are out there doing the hard work with your boots on the ground and your wands in the air maybe have a soft time also and solve a mystery <laughs> that sounds like a thrilling mystery to me bring justice um, to the world yeah exactly yeah uh, listen to the dead they have something to tell at also yes like also yes just in general (laughs) they do it has been positively a treat speaking with you thank you so much for giving us all the deets and a little insight into this beautiful world you've created I love I just love how rich it is because you can tell that you know the area so well and like you know you know your tools and you've used them to create this wonderful welcoming warm place where scary stuff just tends to sometimes happen (laughs) and thank you for introducing us and our listeners rather to that world today it has been an absolute pleasure for me to speak with you in person because i have admired what you do by listening to your podcast for a long time, but keep doing the great work that you're doing and Same. inspiring people to tap into that magic because it's there for the taking. <laughs> yes. It's, this is like a long time coming, folks. We've been playing email tag for some time. <laughs> <laughs> so we're very All glad good to get things come to pass if you have patience, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank uh, you so much. Marion, so very nice to meet you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dad. So happy to meet you both. I know. And I saw your cats. I saw your cat's rear end. Oh, where is she? Oh, (laughs) Tibbles? Oh, no, it was, uh, I think it was Khaleesi walked across or Ginger. Oh, what a name. Probably Ginger. One of them walked across your lap. Um, Well, everybody, before we leave, we want to say, as our sparks, Go pre-order Murder in the Bookseller on May 1st, and you will get it in September. And you can read the other ones in the meantime, Murder and the Mortician and Murder and the Ghost. Ghost Hunter. Ghost Hunter. I was like, something about that is wrong. Murder and the Ghost Hunter. And then you can get all caught up on the world of Vardos and Vardo and be ready for Hamish Gideon and Dahlia Clarendon and the whole cast of characters. 
Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Amazing. Thank you. And until next time, be well. Act with intention. And don't forget that you are magic. Thank you so much for listening. Please, if you are so inclined, follow us on our socials, which is Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Bonfire Babble Podcast. You can also follow us or join us on Patreon at Bonfire Babble Witches on Patreon and our website at bonfirebabble.com. You can also join our community on Discord by clicking the link in our link tree. If you're into snail mail, you can send us that at P.O. Box 16341, Seattle, Washington, 98116. And if you want to do that electronic thing, we're at bonfirebabblepodcast at gmail.com. Please also, if you have a moment, leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps us out. It also helps other people find us. Yeah, and if you do it on Apple where you can actually write something, we will shout you out your name. Thank you again for listening. Bonfire Babble Podcast recognizes that we live and record on the traditional lands of the Duwamish tribe. We honor their past and present stewardship of the beautiful land and the life-giving energy they provide. To learn more about the tribe, go to realrentduwamish.org.